Hello everyone, welcome to Narcissism Recovery Podcast, produced by the Magnolia Healing Center. I'm your host, Yitz Epstein. In this podcast, we will be delving into topics related to narcissistic abuse, codependency, childhood wounds, childhood trauma, mental illness, and all things narcissism. The purpose of this podcast is to bring widespread awareness and healing to the global epidemic of narcissism and codependency. It is my hopes that with this podcast, we can collectively create an environment of health and healing for you, the individual, and for the world at large. Let's begin. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today, we're going to be discussing understanding our triggers. So in today's podcast episode, we're going to be discussing our triggers. We're going to specifically be focusing on how trauma affects our nervous system, keeping it imbalanced and dysregulated. And finally, I'm going to be discussing ways in which we can regulate our nervous system uh, when we are triggered using our awareness of our triggers and uh, by dealing with them in a healthy and appropriately healing way. So to begin, I'm going to share some insights from a wonderful article. This is from Psychology Today, and it's titled, When Trauma Gets Stuck in the Body, How Do We Heal? by Beth Shaw. She says like this, People living with residual trauma are continually getting ready for the next attack or life-altering event. When someone is preoccupied with a real or imagined threat, the resulting fear, rage, or disappointment will be reflected in the body. Research shows that trauma survivors suffer from more illnesses. For example, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study found that survivors of childhood trauma are some 5,000% more likely to use drugs, attempt suicide, and suffer an eating disorder. Muscle tension, disease, and injury are physical manifestations of this preoccupation. She continues that trauma has a severe impact because of the way it affects and ultimately rewires the brain. When the brain goes into stress or is struck or stuck in stress, it leads to physical changes and a complicated ripple of life-altering symptoms. In the animal world, animals shake off the freeze response caused by a life threat. When animals suffer trauma, it has been documented that they will literally shake it off, which helps the animal discharge the enemy energy, sorry, of the traumatic event. The term shaking like a leaf is commonly used to describe a reaction to a frightening situation. Shaking or trembling, which comes from the limbic brain, the part of the brain that holds emotions, sends a signal that the danger has passed and that the fight or flight system can now turn off. They are literally finishing the nervous system response to release the traumatic experience from the body. Now, animals are often, they often die if they're unable to shake off the trauma In humans, it may evolve into mental or physical illness. Humans can shake off trauma, but for some, the shake-off response isn't available, thus the trauma is held inside of the body. Now, the problem comes when something prevents the nervous system from completing its natural survival-based response, such as being held down, held against your will, or being immobilized. And she says, duty requirement in the military or via medication from an unwitting medical attendant, for example. So in these cases, the experience can become stored in the body, resulting in mental or physical illnesses or both, and can lead to a diagnosis of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, I will add here that a child who is forced to be in a hostile situation for long periods of time, let's say a narcissistic home uh, in their entire childhood, they they show very similar uh, symptoms as as a war veteran uh, with PTSD, and this is oftentimes referred to as CPTSD, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. So to continue our article, she says the issues get lodged in our tissue and our brains as well. After a traumatic event, one that represents a threat to personal safety, the brain and the body are transformed. The threat evokes a physical and emotional reaction in the person experiencing the event, which activates our SNS, sympathetic nervous system, also known as fight 
or flight, which is a necessary and important survival response. Now, after trauma, the sympathetic nervous system remains activated, keeping the body and mind on high alert. The brain and nervous system become stuck in trauma and are rewired in a way that makes healing a challenge. With trauma, however, the stress and hormones activated in the brain are stuck in survival and do not restore. The reptilian brain remains primed for threat and keeps the survivor in its reactive state, ultimately affecting other brain structures to react accordingly. When your brain is in a constant stress mode, it trickles down and is normalized into the physical body, thus normalizing this behavior. And if the brain does not reset, some survivors develop PTSD. Now, I will add here that while the sympathetic nervous system is designed to prepare for threats or potential threats by entering into fight or flight, uh, this is balanced by the parasympathetic nervous system, which tells the sympathetic nervous system that the threat is no longer and it can relax. So the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system sort of work together to, uh, to fight or flight, right, to prepare for the threat, but also to calm the person down when the threat is no longer. So when a person is exposed to trauma for pro prolonged periods of time, the fear and uh, the fear of the potential threat uh, is constant, and therefore the sympathetic nervous system is always on, and as a result, it's going to be imbalanced with the parasympathetic nervous system, which explains why a person who has been traumatized for years on end, specifically in childhood, is going to have a nervous system that is, is always on, right? it's always dysregulated, and it's never going to be balanced, it's never going to be relaxed, and ultimately they're going to be waiting for and expecting the next potential threat, even though you know the, the, the threat may, may no longer exist. So to finish off the article here, she says that there are biological and chemical changes that occur in the brain, which can literally shift your life, your well-being, and reality as you know it through the post-traumatic brain. Symptoms including intrusive dissociating, numbing, and arousal then are exhibited. A person living with unresolved trauma can re-experience their trauma in a variety of ways. For example, nightmares or distressing dreams can cause a person to relive the experience. Flashbacks make a person act or feel as if the trauma is experience, is being experienced again, is recurring again. And when a person is reminding, uh, reminded of the traumatic event, they can experience emotional and physical upset. And that completes the article. So beginning from as early as birth, the parent's ability to offer attunement to the child, respond with facial expressions uh, of compassion and awareness uh, of what the child is going through, skin-to-skin -skin contact, and being able to communicate to the child in a way that's age-appropriate to the child will ultimately help the child and teach the child to, to self-regulate. To quote from the National Institute for Children's Health Quality, uh, it says like this, when babies are born, they have little ability to self-regulate. However, from infancy, parents and other primary caregivers help children learn through a process called co-regulation. By using their voice, movements, effects, gestures, and intonations, parents and primary caregivers can help infants and young children know when they are felt with and attuned to. This helps babies and children become calmer and regulate. When babies grow up with co-regulation during moments of stress, such as when they are struggling with strong feelings, they begin to internalize and conceptualize strategies for self-regulation and self-soothing in their brains and in their minds. And that ends the quote there. So if we've been forced into a situation for a long period of time where, let's say we're being raised in a chronically stressful home, a home where we're not being attuned to and our emotions are not welcome, uh, we're not encouraged to express ourselves, and subsequently our, our needs are not going to be met with, with compassion and uh, attunement. You know, if there wasn't, let's say, accurate mirroring, then we're not going to be able to regulate our nervous system. This is a skill that we're not going to have. So regulating our nervous system is something that we learn how to do in relation to our primary caregivers as they hold space for us, they mirror back that they care 
uh, and, and ultimately they show us how they do this. Now, if this is not the case, if we do not have this done for ourselves, we're going to have a nervous system that is dysregulated. And, and not only that, but when existing in an unhealthy and chronically unsafe home, we're going to constantly be on guard for the next potential threat. So the fight and flight, right, is always on. The sympathetic nervous system is always is always uh, just waiting for the next uh, stressful event, and ultimately it cannot relax itself. Now, it would make sense, based on the article we mentioned above, that the, the, the aforementioned parasympathetic nervous system, which would send the message that the threat is no longer right, in order to balance the, the stressful fight and flight of the, of the sympathetic nervous system, it, it's not able to do so in, let's say, toxic, abusive homes because the threat or the potential for, for hurt is constant. So there's no real opportunity to relax and, and quote unquote, let your hair down. Right? So as a result, we're going to constantly be on the lookout for the threat to our well-being and ultimately not be able to feel relaxed, regulated. The threat in these instances is constant and our nervous system is continuously in balance uh, and ultimately the sympathetic, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the sympathetic nervous system is constantly turned on. Now this would be very similar to a war zone, a person who is in a war zone where they're constantly fending for their life and then let's say they came back home and started to integrate into civilian life, not realizing that the, you know, their nervous system is still turned on. The battle is over, right? The threat is no longer, but their nervous system is still aligned with the constant threat. And this is the uh, a most basic explanation of, of PTSD seen in war veterans. So as a result, regardless of how aware you are of the fact that the threat is no longer, uh, you ultimately can't relax because the sympathetic nervous system, it almost has a mind of its own and it's continuously acting upon stresses that remind the person of earlier threats. So many of us who are listening, right, if you're listening to this episode, many of us can relate to childhood being very much like a war zone. The threats may not be, let's say, bullets or hand grenades, um, but I believe that they, these are strong and accurate metaphors for the hurtful words, the emotional unpredictability, the volatile environment, and the daily battle to survive emotionally and spiritually and psychologically when nutrients like love, attention, affection, and safety are, are scarce, if available at all. Many of us are, are holding on to these unresolved traumas and from a time when we were forced to freeze, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And because it wasn't safe to go through the natural progression of calming and relaxing that would occur with the, uh, through the parasympathetic nervous system, if it were, let's say, safe to do so, if we had parents who were attuned or caring, uh, we have no choice but to look for ways, and most often maladaptive ways, to regulate our out-of-balanced nervous system. So these ways of operating that we are going to take on to regulate our nervous system become uh, habitual and ultimately become a part of our personality regardless of mal how maladaptive and how ineffective they truly are. So in adulthood, when something happens to us, when we go through an experience and it awakens this, these deep and unresolved wounds, the nervous system is going to get activated and we are flooded with similar stress, emotions, uh, and, and reactions if, as if the trauma were happening today. You know, when our nervous system gets activated and is reacting to seemingly irrelevant stimuli and often petty life experiences today, it is very normal to feel the overwhelm, feel flooded, and feel deeply hurt as a result of this nervous system that was really never given permission to regulate itself properly. In a sense, it's frozen, it's stuck in the trauma. So this may manifest itself practically as, let's say, full-blown rage, panic attacks, completely shutting down, dissociation, destructive tendencies towards ourself and others. And in reality, what's happening is that the nervous system is, uh, is reacting to whatever's going on today as if it were, in fact, the trauma that, that happened back in the day. So when we are triggered, it's because our nervous system is attempting to regulate itself. There's an imbalance and it's trying to balance itself. So if we're not aware of that, meaning if we're too reactive or we lack the awareness and the self-awareness to see our nervous system sort of doing its thing, we will 
go right back into regulating it in ways that don't properly, properly and sustainably bring balance and equilibrium. And these are usually through, through things outside of ourselves. So we're not self-regulating, we're dependent on things outside of ourselves to regulate. And as a result of that, we may get short-term gratification or peace or balance through the thing we're dependent on, but ultimately uh, we're not really resolving it. We're not necessarily working through the nervous system imbalance. And as a result, we stay stuck in primitive ways of thinking, reacting, and operating. Now, it is very common that abuse victims are gonna to struggle to be at the present moment, right? The present moment awareness is very difficult. And, and oftentimes it's irritating. And in many instances, it's just terrifying and something that abuse victims will defend against. Many abuse victims describe waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? They can't really relax and they can't really just practice being. They can't really practice or they struggle to practice being present. So in essence, they are still living in this fear of the, of the threat or the potential threat of those around them and they can never really relax. So you can say that their nervous system, like I mentioned earlier, is still reacting to things today as if it were still childhood. So in childhood, we learned that you know if there was trauma, if there was unsafety, that the present moment was something that was dangerous, is something to be avoided, something to be defended against. Right, as a bad thing, because ultimately it's gonna it's gonna wake up a lot of the old pain that that was experienced in childhood when it was the present moment. Right, so the present moment is a place where we are vulnerable, we're open, we're transparent, and, and we're authentic. It's who we it's who we truly are. Right, so repeated traumas that occurred while being in the present moment in childhood are going to send us fleeing from it and away from the present moment and away from ourselves, away from our emotional self, and uh, it's gonna essentially keep the nervous system dysregulated. It's gonna keep it imbalanced. Ideally. A safe, loving, present, and regulated parent themselves would be able to hold space for and then help assist the child in re regulating their own emotions and their nervous system. And if this wasn't taught, the child and later adult will struggle to cope with this dysregulated nervous system. And like I mentioned, are going to constantly be searching for and finding things outside of themselves to regulate it. So in childhood, this may manifest itself as, let's say, dissociating, right, or fantasizing and living in a sort of a fake uh, world with it, where there's no threat, right, so just disconnecting from any threats entirely living in their head. Uh, they may disconnect from their emotions altogether. They may adopt a false self. They may lie to themselves, you know, live in a sort of a false paradigm of existence similar to fantasy, all in order to avoid the pain of the present moment and, and being able to protect themselves or defend against the present moment, which is ultimately very painful. And that's where, that's where the trauma happened, right? That's where their dysregulated nervous system is gonna get activated. So later in adulthood, attempts to regulate the nervous system may take on, let's say, more elaborate, maybe age-appropriate mechanisms such as drugs, alcohol, perfectionism, workaholism, anything uh, like that. So from this perspective, addiction can be seen as an attempt to regulate a dysregulated nervous system with something outside of the self. And this unfortunately uh, creates a dependency and the more the dysregulated individual is gonna seek something outside of themselves to balance their nervous system, the more frustrated it's gonna be, uh, they're gonna get because ultimately it's not sustainable. You know, ultimately the person themselves, they're the only ones who can regulate their own nervous system through self-regulation and because this skill is lacking and they're on, they don't have it, they don't have this skill and they're unable to do that by themselves, they're gonna ultimately stay stuck and stay dysregulated and stay dependent. And we're gonna talk about how to self-regulate uh, in a moment. So when we are triggered, our nervous system is now activated, right? And it's experiencing the trauma as if it's happening today. And it is the need of us to step in and regulate it. We are the only ones who can do that. It, it, our dysregulated nervous system is in need of us to hold space for it, uh, provide the safety, the empathy, understanding, the compassion, the attention, the presence, the patience, and the unconditional love. And without these things, we will ultimately not be able to properly uh, regulate it. So 
when we do this, when we offer this to our nervous system, it begins to uh, regulate itself. And when they have this, you know, when our inner system has this, has these needs met, we'll start to feel safe and we'll embrace and enjoy our present moment experience and be able to sort of let go of the dependency on things outside of ourself. However, when this happens, it's usually going to embrace more pain. When we start to get present, when we start to sort of entertain our nervous system that's dysregulated, we're now going to sort of wake up all this pain. And that's why it does usually get worse before it gets better because ultimately there's a lot of regulating that's needed. Now here is the most important point, right? Here's the kicker. Your nervous system, right? Our nervous system knows how to regulate itself by itself. We don't necessarily have to do anything, but it cannot do it unless we get out of our own way, so to speak. We give it permission. We have the courage to feel our feelings, right, without denying, rejecting, judging, avoiding, or soothing. So our nervous system, in many ways, it needs to get triggered or activated and then subsequently embraced with the aforementioned safety and the space, the unconditional love. Otherwise, again, it'll stay out of balance and we will stay dependent and stuck. Now, when it comes to relationships with partners who are who have a dysregulated nervous system, this is very consistently seen in, let's say, codependent relationships where two partners whose nervous system is regulated, is dysregulated, are going to use each other to regulate. And an example of this where would be, let's say one partner may get triggered and then let's say feel out of control, right? And then they would use controlling of their partner or controlling of life situations uh, to gain back the feeling of being in control and to regulate their nervous system. Another example would be, let's say, uh, partners who are you know, engage in a fight, right? You see combative, and what they're fighting about may not necessarily be as important as what they're trying to do through the fight, you know, where each person may be trying to, let's say, dominate each other in an attempt to feel regulated through their other, through their partner uh, submitting to them, right? So trying to control them so that they can feel in control. Ultimately, they're regulating their nervous system with something outside of themselves with their partner. And let's say in the case of a narcissistic abuser, right, who's controlling and abusing their partner, you can see this as an attempt uh, to, to balance an imbalanced nervous system, which is riddled with shame, guilt, and powerlessness, and then using the drug of choice for, for a narcissistic abuser, which is power, control, right, humiliation, uh, humiliating and, and shaming their partner as a, as a way of re regulating those, uh, the nervous system. Now, our nervous system is something that is designed to alert us of threats, is to prepare us for fight and flight, and then to ultimately calm us down when the threat is no longer. So when we have a permanently turned on nervous system, we're going to be hypervigilant, we're going to be untrusting, we're going to be constantly anxious, we're going to be depressed, we're going to be exhausted, right? Because we're constantly on guard, there's no, there's no time to replenish. We'll oftentimes be impulsive, compulsive, uh, addicted, right? And we're definitely going to be lacking inner peace. So let's talk about how we can regulate a nervous system so it can function in a way that assists us in our daily life as opposed to compelling us to act out of our pain and, and repeat early childhood traumas. So the following are some tips on how to regulate your nervous system and how to balance your emotions and energy and energies when they are out of balance. The first is present moment awareness and non-reactivity. So like we mentioned earlier, the present moment is going to wake up our old pain, but that's not a bad thing. That just means that we are embracing things that are disconnected from ourself. We're embracing parts of ourself that need our balancing. So when we practice present moment awareness and we allow, allow ourselves to feel our feelings without doing anything to, to just be there and not react with any defensive or, or avoidance techniques, we're essentially giving ourselves permission to feel and present moment awareness is the space that we need to invite in those dysregulated parts of ourself and, and offer uh, th those parts of ourself uh, compassion, love, un unconditional love, acceptance, which ultimately regulates the, the imbalances. The next is working through defense mechanisms, let's say projection or intellectualizing, right? It's so important not to defend. You know, when you're in pain, you want to avoid, you want to escape, you see the negative emotion as a problem and you want to just run or escape. 
Um, so similar to present moment awareness, when we sort of get out of our own way and break down defense mechanisms that, that while they were maybe necessary early on, they're no longer serving us and ultimately they're getting in the way of our present moment experience and of feeling. So it's so important to just be with your feelings, be present, and then do what you can to break down these automatic, let's say, uh, relationship patterns or, or behavioral uh, patterns that, that ultimately get in the way of that. The next is breath work or deep breathing. So deep breathing and relaxation activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which sends a signal to the brain to tell the anxious part of us that you're safe, right? You don't have to use the fight and flight and freeze response. So deep breathing gets more oxygen to the thinking brain, and thus you're able to regulate your inner world more effectively with a clear and calm mind. The next is meditation. So this is similar to present moment awareness. Meditation is probably the quickest way to get into the present moment, get out of your head, get out of your thoughts, and get into the moment. Um, and by doing this, we are able to, to, to really not identify with the chaos and with the feelings and just allow them to come and go and, uh, and simply exist. And, and that, creates, that creates a lot of calmness and that relaxes us. And when we're relaxed, we're, uh, we're balancing our energies. Next is exercise. Uh, exercise increases endorphins, right, which is the, the happy hormones, and those happy hormones, hormones signal to your body that there is no physical danger, uh, and, and it relieves stress and allows us to feel, again, calm. And this calmness causes us to feel safe and secure in our body. So definitely exercise a, a big, important way to regulate our nervous system. The next is con communication with someone who can hold space for you, mirror you, and, uh, and, and uh, ultimately offer you a space where you can learn how to regulate your own emotions or, or regulate your own nervous system. So this can be done by a therapist, a coach, a friend, a family member even, somebody who themselves has a regulated nervous system, somebody who has the skill of being able to hold space for you and not, uh, not try to, try to you know, intrude or get in the way of your own process, but ultimately allow you to do that for yourself and learn how to self-regulate. Um, Ultimately, when we are connecting with some with people, when we are regular, when we are in contact with somebody else in any way, we are uh, exchanging energies. So, if your dysregulated nervous system is coming up and all these imbalances, when you're connecting with somebody or communicating with somebody, that exchanges energies, and that exchange is contagious. And we take on their energy; they often take on ours. So, as a result of that, by connecting with somebody who has a regulated nervous system, that can ultimately affect us and give us that that calming effect that we need. The next is compassionate self-talk and holding space for your child self. So the inner critic and negative self-talk are going to sort of cause us to feel more fearful, catastrophize, and ultimately it's going to lower our inner peace and it's going to lower our self-esteem. And we're going to feel less secure with ourselves. We're going to really feel less safe in our own bodies. It's almost as if you have somebody who's constantly yelling at you all the things you don't like about yourself and, and being critical and, and negative. So when we sort of let go uh, of, of negative self-talk, we interrupt it and we add compassionate, loving, peaceful self-talk. This has the ability to reverse this. So when we're compassionate, we're nice to ourselves. we treat ourselves well, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, we understand why we feel what we feel. Uh, having a self-talk like this can induce a sense of peace and, uh, and, and calm us um, and ultimately give us the positivity we need, which ultimately gives us more strength and energy to, to, uh, to regulate ourselves. So when we feel safe inwardly, then ultimately we are a play, the, the nervous system is gonna get the safety it needs to self-regulate. 
The next is co-regulating with a intimate partner. So if you have somebody who you're in a relationship with, uh, things like hugs or cuddles or just physical touch, again, like we mentioned earlier, that, that, that energetic exchange, you know, people sync up with the people who are next to them. You know, our, ener our, our energies are contagious and we ultimately align with other people and we either we take on their energies, they take on ours, and we start to co-regulate. So this can, this can work negatively and this can work positively, right? If you're with people who are negative, fall, uh, who are dysregulated themselves, that can affect us and dysregulate us. But if you are you and your partner can, find, can, can assist each other in co-regulating, uh, this can really be, be a powerful way of, of regulating your nervous system and making you and assisting you in feeling safe inwardly. And ultimately that safety, again, that space that you hold for yourself and then you can ultimately hold for each other can really be a powerful place of, of healing. The next is water. Being around water, taking baths, uh, being around the ocean, being around nature as well. Uh, being around water specifically has a calming effect. The ocean you know, specifically has a, has a breeze, which feels really good. The ocean sounds, seeing beautiful scenery, all of these things have calming effects. And, uh, and even drinking water, just water in general has a very healing uh, power to it. So uh, being around water and nature in general, nature is always balancing itself. So when you are in balance and you go into nature, it'll sort of, uh, you'll, you'll get that effect as well, uh, by, which is why many people just enjoy being out in nature and find they're very peaceful because ultimately, yes, your, your energies are being balanced by nature, which nature itself is always looking to balance itself. The next is music or sound healing. Uh, now, this is something we're going to be offering at the Magnolia Healing Center uh, eventually, uh, which is sound healing. Um, and sound healing is very powerful. Sound is able to assist you in aligning your frequencies with, let's say, healthier ones and bringing inner balance to your energies. So sound in general is a very powerful way of healing. And when you listen to sounds that are that are high vibrational, ones that are attuned, you can align your chakras, right? And, and so music and sound healing can be very, very powerful in balancing a dysregulated nervous system. And finally, letting go or surrendering, you know, letting go of control. Um, so here's the thing. If addiction is trying to control life or yourself or a situation because you feel out of control and the opposite of addiction, right, is letting go and letting God, then by definition, by that logic, you can understand that letting go of control will uh, take away all the stress of trying to control things you can't. And ultimately, the more we try to control, usually what we're trying to do is you're trying to balance our nervous system through which feels out of control. So letting go and in a sense, re regulating your nervous system with, with God or with our higher self. And uh, a lot of that happens by just surrendering and not trying to control. By trying to control, we end up feeling more powerless because we end up trying to control things that we can't control. So non-reactivity, present moment awareness, and just surrendering to it and then letting go allows us to let go of the need to control things we cannot control, put our energy into controlling things we can, which ultimately allows for calmness, inner peace, which again, that's very, very important when it comes to regula regulating our nervous system. So here's a couple of points when it comes to regulating our nervous system and creating the inner peace. Our triggers are not the enemy. And yes, they're uncomfortable, they're painful. But the way I understand it, the way I see it, and the way I experience it is our triggers are a gift and an opportunity. And although at times a very, very painful one. If you get triggered, this means that on some level you're ready to heal and regulate the part of yourself that has been dysregulated until now. So our job is not to waste the opportunity or avoid ourselves, or soothe or disconnect from that opportunity, but rather to embrace the trigger with compassion, acceptance, love, and humility. So with each and every trigger that we feel, we understand, we have compassion for, we love, we accept, we hold space for, and we validate, it brings us one step closer to, to a sense of inner peace and, and, and balance and wholeness. So to run away from ourselves, to deny parts of ourselves, to not regulate our nervous system in a healthy, 
sustainable way that that's self-regulating and to depend on things outside of ourselves to regulate our nervous system is perfectly normal and not only that we probably had to do this to survive in childhood however when we do this uh, this in adulthood is in essence to become our own perpetrator because now we are no longer we're not stepping into that role of our being our own self-regulator and ultimately by looking outside of ourselves to do this we are neglecting this process we're neglecting ourselves. now nowadays people are so dysregulated and this is obviously a general statement but from what i've experienced and what i've seen uh, society in general it's almost like just one big dysregulated society and so we're it's evident in the way we're so dependent on things outside of ourselves to do this to regulate ourselves uh, such as our phones other people's opinions uh, attention validation money success tv sports you know pornography our email even, you know, social media, you name it, we're all just so looking outside of ourselves to, to regulate our nervous system. And this can also be uh, seen in specifically the rise of addiction and dependency uh, and, and sadly even suicide. So the more we are dependent on that, which cannot achieve our self-regulation goals, the more essentially we are a slave to those things, the less free, uh, the less independent we truly are, then the less, the less happy, the less peaceful. Now, the more dependent we are, the more we fear losing the thing that we are dependent on to regulate our nervous system, then the more we try to cling to it, to that thing, and ultimately to control the thing we fear losing, and ultimately the more dependent we become. And ultimately it's a vicious cycle. So the way out of this cycle is to, to in a sense, let go and, and stop trying to control and allow the nervous system to regulate itself by developing present moment awareness, non-reactivity, and holding space for, which is very difficult, especially if you feel out of control and if, if feeling out of control makes you feel powerless and, and in childhood, if you were made to feel powerless, then this is gonna be something you're gonna wanna avoid. But ultimately that's where the courage comes to, to develop these life skills. And once we do, we can properly regulate our nervous system and, and develop that inner peace that we're searching for. So one last point before we conclude here is that if the nervous system is frozen, if it's stuck, when a person starts to feel comfortable and safe, which might happen when they're around, let's say a loving, compassionate partner or a therapist, whatever it is, this may actually awaken the unresolved and imbalanced inner world, which will start to get activated, triggered. And this is why you see people who are, who actually start to feel more pain and get more irritated and hurt around people who love them, who care for them and bring a sense of presence, safety, and peace with them. So the presence of such a person who is in fact present and aware and compassionate is going to awaken the wounds of their nervous system that needed this safety in childhood but didn't get it and it's going to cause that intense unresolved pain and trigger to show up even more with the right people and the people who can hold space with you uh, this can be a very cathartic cathartic experience as the previously dysregulated nervous system now has the opportunity to correct itself uh, this however can really only be done and be effective if the individual who is triggered takes responsibility and works through their inner chaos and this as opposed to let's say further using those around them to regulate their inner world uh, and ultimately the person who's holding space if they're aware that it's not personal but ultimately knows how to contain the individual and and hold space for them in a way that they don't uh, fight back uh, or ultimately um, create allow for that dependency this can be a very very powerfully healing experience so when it comes to healing, when it comes to the healing journey, it's important to understand that a lot of the things that we're going through, while they appear to be happening outside of ourselves, are shaped by our feelings and our emotions and our traumas and our dysregulated nervous system. So when we are in pain, first step, 
first most important step is to regulate your emotions, to balance your nervous system. And when you do that, you have a, you can develop that inner peace. And then the clarity that comes of your situation could be dealt with as opposed to escaping into our heads or running or in fear, which ultimately catastrophizes things and only makes them worse and ultimately doesn't balance things and will not allow us to move through the trauma and, and shake it off, so to speak. So I know this was a lengthy episode here, a lot of important points I wanted to bring. So I really hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you are struggling to regulate your nervous system, if you are looking for someone who can hold space for you so you can learn how to self-regulate, it'd be my absolute honor to assist you in this process. And uh, if that is an interest of you, feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is yitz, Y-I-T-Z at magnoliahealingcenter.com. My phone, 818-210-6049. I want to thank you all so very much for joining me for today's episode. Until next time, all the best.